It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 764. What's happening, guys? What's going on? I'd like to welcome Maddie Connors to the show. Welcome, Maddie. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're, we're very good. I was very excited because um, uh, you and I have a, a bit of a connection. Uh, I know we didn't talk about this off air, but I lived in Shepparton and I know you grew up in Shep too. I, uh, yes. Tommy called himself a Shep celebrity, <laughs> but I don't know how. <laughs> I, I'm curious whether you know his voice uh, mm. or whether, be completely honest. Did you listen I'm to the sorry, radio? I don't think I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, she, yeah. Nah, it, she's got no idea, guys. This is embarrassing for me. Uh, <laughs> I thought you might have recognised me from Star FM in Shepparton, but no. Nah. Giving out ah. icy cold cans of Coke and things like that. Uh, so, Maddie, we're just talking. You're an Aboriginal artist and you were saying, um, now, are you going to do a welcome to country? Um, is that what it's, is that what it's called? Um, so it's called an acknowledgement when you're not on your country mm-hmm. um, and anyone can do an acknowledgement so you don't have to be an Aboriginal person. Um, a welcome to country has to be done by a traditional owner of that country that they're doing the welcome on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I'm a Yorta Yorta, Jar Jar Rung and Gamilaroi woman so I could do a welcome to country on my country, Yorta Yorta country in Shepparton mm-hmm. or uh Run country in uh, Bendigo area, so around that area. So for an acknowledgement, um, generally you would say, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which I meet today um, and whether you know who they are that you're meeting on. So for where I am, I'm meeting on Wurundjeri land, um, but otherwise you can say I'm meeting on the, the Kulin Nations, the land of the Kulin Nations. Um, but there's different ways of sort of unpacking that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not too hard. And as I said, anyone can do it. Um, I know that my son does it at kinder as well. And someone yeah. was saying before that they're yeah, the little one does it at daycare. Ma- my son yeah. does it and he gets up the front because they say it and then the kids say it. He's got onto the hot seat and actually says it and gets the other kids to say it too. It's, um, I mean, it's it's a big difference from probably when we were at, High school, you know, in kinder, mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, w- I was blown away that, you know, in su- it's such a sweet thing for these kids to be learning at such a young age because I know that, you know, our generation, younger, weren't learning this stuff in high school, in kindergarten. No. Well, you think about like even the, um, like uh, the national anthem, you think mm-hmm. about the flag, you think about all these things that are like even contradictory to, to doing that. Mm. Um, and so, Maddie, with the... Uh, welcome to country or the acknowledgement type of stuff. Has that been always something that you've done from a young age or something that's been in sort of the vernacular or is this something that is, um, and we're only just starting to do it in the last, you know, 10, 15 years? See, I think in community it's been done my whole life, Mm -hmm. Um, but probably not at high school. I don't recall them doing it at assemblies or anything like that. So I'm 30 this year. I'm not that, I'm not that old, but I'm not that young. Um, and I can't remember them doing acknowledgements to country. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally I would, I remember them having um, an elder come and do a welcome, but that was only for special events that the school would have. Whereas now I feel like people are more um, like open to having those conversations. So before I went on maternity leave, I worked in 
um, government and we would um, always have acknowledgements before meetings. Um, occasionally people didn't and I think there was a real push to make sure that it wasn't tokenistic but it was mm -hmm. something that genuinely people were doing because it's it's a really important um, part of, you know, being on someone else's country and, you know, that's when we say our country was, um, sovereignty was never ceded here and this is Aboriginal land. So for Aboriginal people, it's really important that we're acknowledging all of that history when we're doing an, an acknowledgement or a welcome and we're acknowledging the past wrongs but also we're acknowledging that it's sacred and we're standing on important ground rather than, you know, just saying hi, welcome to the meeting sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You're really acknowledging the the true depths of it. Is there any place where it's not appropriate to, to do an acknowledgement? Not that I can think of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be the best person to answer that. Mm -hmm. um, Was there anywhere like, that, you, that, I'm aware. that you'd like to see it done more? If I mean on different platforms, social media, these kind of things? Like, I mean, it was the first time you asked us before the show, mm -hmm. would you would you like to do one? And it's something I, we'd never considered for the show, which mm -hmm. could be our ignorance. Yeah. And um, and it's, you know, part of the learning process for us, which I said, which is why we wanted to chat to you first well, up about this stuff. Even like, I guess that like from a digit, like that whole digital space versus like so for instance saying email signatures or saying websites it feels like it's become mm. a, a common place to see it there and i think that why i love the question is because it's um i think that there's a bunch of other things that it challenges so when you do that you also have to when you do an acknowledgement i think it makes you reflect on the content that you do or representation and things like so for instance with the uh, everything that's happening with the you know Black Lives Matter stuff, I think that we tried to work out. Okay, it's not just a a tile on Instagram, and you you know you do this thing, but what are you actually doing? And so, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, I, I do wonder though these types of things. I think that they actually will really move the needle in a in an important direction because if you're going to acknowledge then all of a sudden you have to answer all the other questions too you have to consider the other stuff mm. you do yeah definitely and and also coming you know with an acknowledgement you have to really understand whose country you're on and and what's the history there so it's about you know doing a little bit of research and talking to people as well so you're really educating yourself um learning about our history and then you're sharing that with those who you're with or you know obviously on the radio or on this show you're mm -hmm. you're sharing that with your listeners as well which can be really powerful i think um even just in that small sentence just trying to unpack that and then it it, it gets other people to think about that as well mm -hmm. um should we do one yeah, yes. I mean, so would you, would you be able to do one for us? Well, yeah. So how do we do? Like, if we, so f I feel like the thing around it is you're not wanting to stuff it up, or you're not wanting to like all of a sudden you're doing this thing to be respectful. Mm. It's like pronouncing names. Like I just I always freak out that I'm going <laughs> to say something mm. wrong or pronounce a name wrong. And so yeah, what's the gut? Like if we were to start doing it now, what's the what? What do you recommend? Do I do I just Google? Say I went down a already googling welcome to country I, I could have 
<laughs> fucked things up real big, real quick. So, and so you have so to what, remember. Yeah. You have to remember that it's an acknowledgement to country. Yeah. So welcome to country is an yeah. Aboriginal person mm -hmm. who's Welcoming. from that land can do. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then acknowledgement can be done by anyone. So you're acknowledging the country, and that's mm -hmm. what you can do, and I can do when I'm living here because I'm on someone else's country. Mm -hmm. So you would start it by saying. Um, I would like to start this meeting by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today. And so then you would go down that, that's your first sentence. And then mm -hmm. you would then either identify who the land you're standing on. Mm -hmm. And so I think you guys are in, where are you? Abbotsford. You're in Melbourne too, yeah. Yeah, Abbots, yeah. Ab Abbotsford. I think you, you said Wurundjeri. Wurundjeri. That's, um, yeah, is. I'm not my, sure son's, my son's my son's daycare is right near here, and so he, it's oh, about good. a k away. So mm -hmm. I reckon we're safe there. Yeah. Okay. And so, <laughs> so then you would say you would then say, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people um, of this land. Um, I want to pay my respects to their elders, past and present. Or you can say, I want to pay my respects to the elders or any Aboriginal people in the room today. So it's like, yeah, you're providing that respect. Yeah, great. And, and the cooler nation. My son says that, but I haven't understood yep. what what the um background of that is. What are you out? Do you know what that part means? Yeah, so there's there's five um, clans in the Kulin Nation, and I'm I might get them wrong because I um have a lot of information in my head. But Jaja Rung, so I was telling you before that I'm Jaja Rung. So we are one of the Kulin Nations, and so the Kulin Nations are, are surrounding. Melbourne and it's sort of like it's really hard to explain but it's yeah there's five clan groups within the Kulin Nations um, and we we're kind of in close vicinity in a sense so it was Bunurong, Wurundjeri, Jarjarung and then there's there's two more but I really feel bad not knowing that and being mm -hmm. able to say that. Um, That's why yeah. we have <laughs> Mason here when we don't know something he pulls up everything. He's my brain. When yeah, I, and I feel sorry to anyone who is in the other two because I mm -hmm. have just had a very busy day and, like, my brain is mush. So <laughs> I, I've got a six-month-old and I'm just <laughs> yeah. a bit sleep-deprived at the moment. And, and getting the iPad working. <laughs> I, I feel you. Yeah. I feel yeah, you. So How, yeah. uh, in, the, in a state like that, where does your creativity sit? You know, some people find creativity in pain mm. or like sleep, sleep deprived or uh, cramming last minute yeah. or something like that. Where, where does your creativity shine? What state? Yeah, that's a hard one because lately I've been really good and really happy. So generally when I was younger, my creativity came from pain and um, I've suffered with depression and anxiety for a very long time. And so a lot of my creativity, whether it was writing or painting or drawing, would come from that pain that I felt. But um, I think my creativity also comes from my culture and being connected to something that's bigger and greater. And I feel like I'm connected to something that you can't see and it's something that you can feel. So when I sit down to paint, I'm just letting go of anything in my head, any of that monkey chatter that you get and just trying to allow it to happen basically. So I just, mm. I'll sit down and, and all of a sudden something will come to me and I'll start painting or I'm also, I also do digital artwork as well. 
generally with the digital stuff, I'll draw first. So I'll draw with just a pen on lined paper. So it's really sketchy. And then I'll basically turn that into a digital piece. As an Aboriginal woman, if you're facing mental health challenges, uh, is the system that's set up, does that support your culture and do you get what you need out of it or are there specialised places where you go to seek help? So say, I guess, like I would go to a psychologist or something like that. Are people equipped to, um, you know, to communicate and to work through those things? I think there's a real gap in our mental health um, space, which that's for everybody, but particularly for Aboriginal people, we have, you know, there are different healing methods and and we're not able to practice those as much in modern society. Um, And I also don't think there's enough um, emphasis put on on our culture being, being something that is able to provide us with our um, positive mental health like you know we're able to practice those traditions where it's um, making us feel like we're connected Um, yeah there's I think there's a like I can't speak my own language Mm -hmm. which then plays on my identity and then that plays into your mental health because you know it's sort of like a a snowball effect Mm -hmm. Um, because my language has been not you know, kept um, and it's not as important, I guess, in modern society where whereas it's been lost um, and stolen from us where it, it just makes it a lot harder to really grasp who you are. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's making sense, but it yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> it does. And, and so, I mean, we've spoken a lot about mental health on this show and, you know, everyone's, I guess, battle or challenge with it is unique and so for for you you mentioned it was when you were young I mean was it a was it a realization so for for me personally I I don't think I've identified with having anxiety and I didn't when I was younger but as I get older I'm like fuck that's what that is and maybe I'm just equipped with understanding what it means for you when you were younger what was your um, experience like with mental health yeah I probably didn't know that it was what it was um, not until I was a bit older. I always knew that I was um, anxious, but it was not formally diagnosed until um, I had a death in the family. And then I guess it started from there. And experiencing death or um, so family violence, I've also um, experienced as a young person. It, those traumas that it leaves with you um, are just long, long-lasting and they, long-standing, you know. They have an effect on you. And whether that's you know that it's happening or it's just something that's subconscious. And I think mine was subconscious, like it mm. would just come out in different ways. But that's why I've always had this creative flair and I've always tried to express myself through my creativity. When I was younger, I did photography and also painting and drawing and writing so I was always very um, creative. And so you recently started Yali Creative and sort of turning this more into a business or something that you do um, for work. How have you found the the transition of going for having it as sort of a, a passion project to be something where 
there's clients and you're dealing with, you know, finances and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's my website's only been going now for 19 or 20 days, which is exciting. Um, but before that, I was working with um, organisations to bring their reconciliation plans or their reports and stuff like that to life. So I would do the digital designs for them and I was working with big organisations or big corporate sort of people um, to bring those documents to life. Um, and I was doing some custom pieces on the side as well. So I was kind of already doing the stuff that I'm doing now, but I think now it's on a bit of a larger scale because I'm getting a bit more traction on Instagram now that I've got an Instagram page directly for Yali Creative, which is Yali underscore creative. Um, and then my website um, is actually, you know, getting a lot of movement as well and Facebook. Um, so my website is www.yalicreative.com.au and I have um, my prints on there and my hoodies and also, yeah, my um, corporate service stuff that I do as well. I love so, it. But, but, yeah, busy. And because I'm on maternity leave at the moment, so um, you wouldn't think <laughs> that I would be on maternity leave. Um, but, yeah, so I'm on, I had my daughter, seven, she's almost seven months and I've got a four-year-old son, but had my daughter um, seven months ago and, yeah, just sort of, when we went into isolation and into COVID, I, I needed something to distract me from being stuck inside um, all the time. And because I'm very social and I'm an extrovert, I was struggling with not being able to go and see friends and family or get out of the house more and go to the shopping centres or talk to people. And also I find being, you know, my my bubbly self who wants to talk to everyone, I... Yeah, I was kind of trapped inside. Like I mm. have my partner and my kids, but there's only so much you can talk about. <laughs> I know, I know. There's, they, they start to annoy you, to be honest. That's what, <laughs> my, my experience, I, as much as I love them. Um, you mentioned about the like the monkey chatter, and so the creative process actually helps you sort of. It's it's cathartic to some degree. I know that creatives on the other side when it comes to showing your work and creating a website, actually putting yourself out there. How do you go? What's your, um, I mean, do you feel confident in that space or are you like a lot of us creatives that, you know, get a bit scared once you've actually put something out to the world? You're like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have like, I may seem like I'm confident. Sometimes people will say, oh, you're really confident. But in actual fact, I'm not. So I think I, I'm working on that now. I'm working on that really hard to try and um, see my worth as an Aboriginal person, as a mother and as an artist, as, a, as an everything. So I'm trying to just see my worth and really um, build my confidence in that space because I'm getting positive feedback. And I generally, I used to post things just on my Facebook um, to friends and family to see what their reactions were. And that kind of helped, I guess, build a little bit of confidence. And then I went to a women's um, business retreat um, just before COVID happened through an organisation called Nagamili who support um, Aboriginal businesses, whether you're a startup business or you're, you know, fully established. They had a women's retreat for um, mums who wanted to sort of get into business um, could take your children with you and we went and we learned about 
um, different things to do with business. And it was there that I actually started to really build connections with other women who felt the same, but wanted to do the same things and build themselves up and create financial freedom for them and their family. And I got confidence from those women in that space, which was really nice. Um, and since then, I've just stayed friends with some of the women I've met and I'm, you know, constantly chatting to Nagamili and, and yeah, they've, they've just actually really helped me to be able to build that mm. on the ground I mean, up. When it's all in your head and you're thinking, um, oh, what, this is just me right now. And then you realize that other people, even people who are out there putting stuff out, feeling the same thing it's like the brave person you see is also experiencing the self-doubt and i mean that's that's community right when you start surrounding yourself with people who are all giving it a crack you're like yeah yeah i can i can give this a crack as well what does community look what does community look like for you for me it's very very big and it's the aboriginal community from from where i'm from or from now my my melbourne aboriginal community um, very diverse, or I've got um, community who are in Swan Hill, who are in Warrnambool, who are in Geelong. It's very, very broad and even interstate. So I've met a lot of Aboriginal people on different um, leadership things that I've been on as, you know, when I was in high school and things and I've kept friends with. And you just have this different connection with them when you you go on these retreats or you go on these leadership courses or you know, you meet other mob, you're just instantly, there's something that, that draws you to people in those groups. Um, I don't know what it is. It's, it's just that really strong connection. Like it, 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 it is there. Whereas when I go on to um, like a leadership thing with non-Aboriginal people, I don't have that same feeling. Is it shared um, trauma, do you think? Do you think there's like part of it, which is like you've gone through some of the same feelings or experiences? Yeah, I, I think it would be some of the same things. So, you know, you, you can relate to people um, on a number of different reasons. Um, and one of those could be, you know, because I've got fairer skin, I often, well, then we start talking about being fair-skinned blackfellas and and then, you know, you start creating a friendship with that person or um, you talk about what happened in school. And, and often... It can be started on a negative, but then it turns into a positive friendship that you then build each other up and you you give each other strength um, where you need it. And I think it's really beautiful, like in the community, in the Aboriginal communities, when we can build each other up and really empower each other. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely something that is unique. Mm -hmm. The, the style or aesthetic of your artwork, like when I think about Aboriginal art, that sort of like the distinct sort of dotted effect, um, like real, like I feel like when I see that, like I can, I can straight away sort of um, say, okay, like that's Aboriginal artwork. What is the broader actual like uh, reality of Aboriginal artwork? What does it look like and how do you even learn about it? Is it something that's passed down? So um, for Victorian mob, um, we don't generally like do dot painting. So mm -hmm. a lot of the time dot painting is connected to mobs in um, other parts of Australia. So Victorian is very lineal. Um, we have adapted some of the dots, obviously. Um, you'll see some Victorian Aboriginal people will use dots and that's totally fine. 
but the I think the the um, traditional Victorian way for Aboriginal people was lineal, very lineal lines and the hatching. Um, but yeah, I, I when you talk about um, where did I learn it, mm-hmm. I grew up around the corner from my auntie. So she was my brother and sister's auntie, not my auntie, but I we call them auntie. So if they're an elder, she's an auntie. And, and I used to go around to her house and she would paint and paint and I would watch and learn and ask questions and, and then just absorbing all of that and then talking to other family members. And I just kind of, yeah, I just learnt it and took it on from them and learning and watching. And I think I was only about 10. I'd ride my bike around to her house and just learn what she was doing and yeah. You mentioned um, previously off the, off the show about Aboriginal art all has s- stories behind it. What, what, yeah. what I mean, in terms, you know, because I can, for me, I, I can, I think we're all great at looking at something and sort of forming a story. Is that how do you go about creating something? Is it based off a story that you've heard and then you're getting inspiration from that and then the story translates onto the paper or canvas or digital? How's the process work? It's, it's different for the different mediums. It's different for different people. So for myself, for example, like if I was to work with an organisation, they would give me a brief about what it is they want to, like what message they want to deliver, what vision they have. And then I'd, I'd turn that into a story of my own, I guess, and, and I would, re- would reflect from my ancestors and the community and my grandpeople, like my grandparents and, and people before me. And I'd just try and really get in the moment of what what is this message and how will it be translated to community? So it's it's an interesting process when I have to work with the organisations, but it's it's really quite nice and unique because I'm able to then adapt it and make it um, really grassroots and try and take that and and turn it into something that's going to be seen by Aboriginal people as something beautiful, but also the the story is very um, it connects them. And then for my own stuff, the stories that I'm telling. I'm more personal, um, more personal about myself, about my family, my community, um, me as a mother, me as an Aboriginal woman. Um, yeah, so it's really personal, I think. Um, some people will have stories, I guess, that their old people have told them and then they turn that into a creation. But yeah, mine so far have been of my experiences how do you feel about, um, like, I'm very wary of throwing all the Aboriginal questions, like, you know, you're here and then all of a sudden you're meant to be this, like, uh, representative for everything Aboriginal. What's your take on people asking questions in a respectful way or, you know, being interested versus being like, hey, maybe you should actually just read a, a book on this? <laughs> yeah, that's it's really hard. That's a hard one because, you know, I really like to help people and bring people on a journey and talk to people, but um, not everybody likes to and they might have different pains that come with that or triggers that have been connected to that. So I think it's just about 
being genuinely interested in Aboriginal culture and having a genuine yearning to learn um, mm. and really wanting to know. Um, and I think just taking it slow. So it's all about body language. If you can read that someone's not comfortable with the conversation, it's probably best to steer to a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's probably like I'm, I'm okay with answering questions. It's, and especially if it's genuine, but if it's those questions that Aboriginal people sometimes get, like, for example, um, I've had, well, how much percentage are you or how much Aboriginal are you? Those sort of questions are really uncomfortable and we don't talk about percentage, nor do we talk about um, how much Aboriginal somebody is. Mm -hmm. It's about what's inside. Um, and as I was saying off air, um, one of the analogies I like to use is, you know how coffee is black and you add a little bit of milk well it's still coffee isn't it yeah well i yeah. just have a lot of milk in my coffee um, <laughs> until you add sugar i mean that could be a problem <laughs> well that could be you know and so with i wonder about like say with international travel whenever i'm traveling i realize how much i don't know about australia when people just ask the most basic questions have you travelled much overseas and do you have a perception on what the global perspective is on Australia and, like, do you think we'll ever get to a point where people are understanding, the, you know, the stories? I hope so. I um, So I've only been to a few places. I went to Thailand once when I was 21. That was my first trip overseas. And then I also did, when I was at uni, I went over to Canada and New Zealand and it was actually with uni, um, the subject was called Being Indigenous in a Global World um, and we learned about um, the Māori people in New Zealand and then the first, uh, first, um, first peoples in Canada, um, so the Aboriginal, Canadian Aboriginal people and it was really interesting to um, compare and contrast the different histories and then look at who's um, who's had a bit more progression, mm -hmm. like what countries had more progression. And that was really interesting because Australian Aboriginal um, culture is the longest standing culture in the world. Yet I felt from a personal perspective, New Zealand was far more advanced with um, like in um, embracing their first people's culture and which is something that you know i would love to see you know languages taught in schools or people being able to speak their language like i was saying before um i can't speak my languages and i'm learning slowly um which is amazing that i'm now i'm able to but um yeah it's it's just unfortunate that we don't have the similar sort of push from mm -hmm. our leaders to have a similar situation to New Zealand. Although I, I do understand New Zealand has a way to go and there's still disadvantages as well. Um, looking from afar, they just seem to have it sorted a little bit better than us. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to um, you uh, and your and what you decide to parent your two little bubbers, how is, um, how, is there a thought on maybe what was missing from what you learnt or the lessons that you've pulled on that you think they should know? How, how do you go parenting in that respect? 
I just make sure my son knows who he is um, and help him to see his identity as being an Aboriginal person in the world. So I'm talking about my son because we've had those conversations already. Um, as I was saying, he has gone to kinder and um, he said, because he refers to himself as a black fella or black, he's gone to kinder and his friends, obviously four-year-olds don't understand actual, you know, these sort of discussions. And so his friends have told him that he's not, um, he's not black. <laughs> and so he's come home. Four-year-olds can me. be little assholes, can't oh, they? Mate. That's one thing that we've worked out through <laughs> Tommy's son, Bodie. Like to- yeah. <laughs> so let's let's not but base yeah, everything look, on four four-year-old, what four-year-olds say. They so. take things very literally. So yeah. I guess it's hard for them to really grasp the whole um, understanding it's actually what's inside. So yeah. that's what I'm trying to teach my son. It's I'm saying, you know, it's about what's inside and we have that discussion and he's he's understanding it it's just how he's conveying that to other people um mm. and he's trying to get his message across because he gets quite angry when people say that mm. he's not a black fella and he has been quite cross um which is cute but it's really it's hard because i, I didn't realize i'd have to have this conversation quite as early as i am yeah. Um, I've always wanted to make sure that he knew who he was and we have those discussions. We've got books. We, you know, when I was younger, there wasn't as many books to sort of unpack those truths and, and unpack the history in, in a way that is appropriate for the age that they are. And so I've taken him to rallies. So the, the NAIDOC march, I take him to that every year, January 26th. Um, I'll take him to that march about change the date. So we we take him to things, take him to festivals and cultural activities. Um, He had a welcome baby to country when he was six months old, so welcoming the baby to the country that he was born on. So, yeah, there's lots of things that I'm trying to do to make sure that both my children and my partner and family understand, um, you know, my culture and my history and my family's culture and history. I feel like um, when I when I was living in Ship, there was a big push around, you know, community and understanding. How what was your experience growing up in in Shepparton? Yeah, I had I had a good experience. Um, the school I went to was very um, diverse, and um, so I went to Maguire for a little bit when I was in high school. Um, but then I went after that. I went to Golden Valley Grammar, so that was a little bit different. Um, in my last two years of schooling, um, that was very different compared to where I went before that. Obviously, you would know that. Yeah. Who was on the radio <laughs> at that time? Yeah, I was just trying to work out to. who fucking took my glory. <laughs> you don't um, remember, so do you? I finished, I finished high school in 2009, I think. We, yeah. Who would have been on then? Oh, Jordan and Steph were before us. <laughs> so a couple of other guys, good shepherd and when did you when did you leave? I'm just trying to see if there was any like, any, any, any crossover. crossover. I left when I was 21, turning 22. So I'm 30 this year. Anyone mm-hmm. good at maths? Because yeah, I think I think I missed you. I think I missed you. 
I'm just being stupid. stupid. It would have been nice to get, you know, someone to back up my story that I was in Shepparton. He takes any opportunity. Why do you want to say that now? No, it's a running joke that I always bring up. It's not a joke. Don't pretend it's a joke. It's always a joke. And and so um, I I was reading about like the importance of uh, storytelling through voice and sharing stories. how do you do that in 2020? Like is things like podcasting and uh, like uh, Marley Silver, who we've had on the show before, she's got a podcast and it feels like it's a great platform to get people talking about their stories. What is it? What does it look like at the moment? Yeah, I think you're totally right. Um, You know, the modern world that we live in where, and especially going into COVID, we had to really adapt how we got our messages across and that was through social media um, as a big push, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter um, and then obviously you've got podcasts as well. So there's definitely, um, we've definitely got some modern modernization, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Um, but um, yeah. So around the campfire before, stuff, is that like, a, I guess one of my questions is around the cliches that we fall into around what it looks like. You know, you think about uh, Aboriginals and you think about the, um, you know, in the sort of the red dirt or in sort of Greenland and all that sort of thing and being like connected to country and be- having, you know, fires and stuff like that. Is there, is there a, a modern in quotation marks, culture to being Aboriginal or do you think that it's actually about going back to the an original state of what it was like day to day? I don't know. I just, I think that that's a really hard question because mm-hmm. we can't ever go back and fix everything, but we can connect to the land that we do have and we need to make sure we protect the land that we do have and hold on to our sacred sites and what there still is that mm-hmm. hasn't been destroyed. So I think that's a, a really tricky question because yes, we live in a modern world mm-hmm. and we have, we've, we've had to adapt to the modern world, but we do still have our connections to the country and we still, you know, even Melbourne as a country, that was, that was a country for Wurundjeri people. And when you look around, you can't see it as much as you would like. And I, I can't I can only speak for myself, not for anybody else. But you know, we just don't have as much um, in available. Like and mm-hmm. I don't think it's been put enough emphasis by our leaders um, and our councils and, you know, really making sure that people can see that this is Aboriginal land. And what does that look like to you, do you think? I don't know. That's a hard Mm -hmm. question too. You're asking me all the hard ones. Is it it preservation of of land? So, you know, Melbourne is becoming built Mm -hmm. up and it's, you know, second major city in Australia and and it's – well, there doesn't feel. You look at Hoddle Street, and you don't think like spiritual, right? Like the th- like you it's look at some of the things. It's you super see, gentrified. Well, you see like the you know you see all these different things, and you're like, okay, even even I walking somewhere in a park or greenery can feel the difference than say somewhere that's you know got cars everywhere and things like that. So, yeah. But is that a is that a cliche or a an oversimplification? 
I don't think it's necessarily a, a simplification or, um, yeah, a stereotype. But I do think that, as I said, you know, we we have to we've had to adapt mm-hmm. to the modern world, but we still can have our connections and we can still go to the places that we feel grounded, and that can look different for everybody. Um, you know, for me. It's just about being surrounded by gum trees because where I'm from, gum trees are very prominent and that's my country, you know, gum trees and the river. If I need to go somewhere, I'm, I'm in the eastern suburbs, I'll probably go to the river um, where there's trees and, and feel that energy around me if I can't get back home, um, back to Sherp or back to um, my country where I grew up and where I feel like I felt most connected. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's it's very probably very different for everyone, um, and and that could be different for people who are from the stolen generation, um, you know, because they might feel connected to something in a different way, um, a country that's not theirs, but they feel connected in a sense. So it's a really hard question. That's why I'm saying it's very yeah. complex. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, I don't so know what individual, like. <laughs> I guess, too. Like, I think that the, the hard bit is it's like when you have a massive complex thing, it's impossible to represent everything. It's it's like mm-hmm. in any, uh, you know, being part of any group is it's like there's going to be people who are uh, really tra- traditionalists or that don't. Like, so I guess like even say e-commerce, are there people within your community who it's like, I don't want to sell the art on online or do things like that. Like, is that a consideration? Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Some people might um, not want to sell their art or, or want to hold that close and that mm-hmm. that's fine. That's an individual thing and, and, and that's their connection to their space and their, their creation. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I'm only speaking from my experience um, and... Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, yeah, wanting to share it as much as I can, but also I do have stories that go with them that I want mm-hmm. people to realise and feel connected to as well. Um, yeah. Uh, digital Everybody art versus, it. you know, classic paint and canvas. <laughs> What's, um, what is your preferred style only because i'm just thinking you can really sort of rub out on digital i'd just be i'd just be erasing too much <laughs> whereas you gotta you gotta commit when you're doing a canvas what is yeah. that for you my preference would be acrylic on canvas i mm. love the the physical feeling of actually painting and and creating and and you know as you said you can't rub it out you've got to yeah. roll with it um I do like digital and, and it's only been in the last four years that I've really taken digital on and, and ran with that. I did digital in high school, so a, a while ago now. <laughs> but, yeah, when my son was born, I just didn't have the space to be able to paint, like physically paint with canvas and acrylic. Um, so that's when I started to really dive into the digital world and, and still be able to use it as a creative outlet. Um but in a different way. And then when he got older, he would try and grab my paints. And so digital was just easier. He now joins in with me as well. Like I've got one of my paintings up and I've named it Marley. That's my son's name. Um, And he helped me paint that one. So we did a bit of a collaboration together. So that was really special. 
Um, but yeah. I love it. I love your, your business name is the blend of your two children, which I think is, yep. it's clever. I've got to have another one to, <laughs> to then have a business <laughs> blending the two. It's, um, See, if I have another, what am I going to do? Oh, get a new domain. Just get a hyphen yeah, domain. Just do a bit of a redirect or something. But don't, don't, don't yeah, redo the business structure. <laughs> it's um, yeah. it's yeah. already locked in. The tax department yeah, now would know you as your business. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so what's the, um, I feel like there's obviously a groundswell of change that's happening. Like I don't, like even beyond social media, all that sort of stuff. Mm. I think people are like, it seems like a different time than any time before in regards to understanding these things and people who haven't been speaking about these issues and now speaking about them. And it's, I don't know whether it's in sort of my bubble, but it feels like change is happening. What do you think is the, the prompter or question for people who are wanting to see change or wanting or realizing that they've been part of a, a system that has, you know, um, been sort of negative towards a whole culture. What do you think are some of the things that uh, we could be asking ourselves or just prompters to be thinking about? I know You're it's a big one. And I know, it, I know it's, this is the, the classic, like, uh, but I, I just think like it, and I guess the thing is like there's no there's no right answer and like there's only your perspective and that's what we're interested in is it's like through everything that you've been through, through the the day-to-day life that you have, through all your experiences, what are the actual personal things? Not speaking for a whole community, but thinking of speaking from your personal experience and thoughts. What do you think some of those prompters or it would be a genuine um, so coming from the heart, from someone who wants to really understand if they've grown up and gone to school and not mm-hmm. had any of that education about our history in Australia, then it would, it would need to be a genuine, um, a genuine want and a genuine feeling that they want to really understand what's happened to our country. I think it has to come from a genuine place. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't just be the, the, the new thing that's trending yeah. um, or anything like that. It, it really needs to be, you need to understand. You need to take it slow but need to understand. And um, if someone doesn't want to talk, then maybe try a different method. So that's about reading books. That's about watching documentaries. That's about understanding your local content first. Um, so the local Aboriginal people from where you live and then branching out to national and then really just understanding the language that you use. Um, uh, for example, something that grates me is that people use lowercase a for Aboriginal and lowercase i for Indigenous when it should be uppercase because it's uh, it's expl- it's explaining a group of people. So for, mm-hmm. you know, Australian, you use a capital A. For Indian, you use a capital I. You know, all of those sort of things. For countries, you use capitals. And it's the same for Aboriginal people. Um, and for me, that would be, you know, the news platforms also changing their um, – they have some sort of directory thing that they use when they're writing, the journalists mm-hmm. are writing – and should apparently, it should just be, yeah, it should yeah. just do that automatically. So within, right? within their, um, I can't remember what it's called, but within their like um, style like guide, I think it's yeah. called. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, their style guide, they have 
Indigenous with a lowercase i. So in all of the, the media stuff, you'll see Indigenous with a lowercase i or Aboriginal with a lowercase a. And I think even that, you know, it's, it's just the smallest thing, but mm. if you can just acknowledge that we are people and, mm. and, and that, that lowercase comes from his, history, it's a historical thing. So, is there a, is there a good mm. place from a content perspective of like consuming stuff? Because I think that probably there's a lot more consuming and listening rather than even talking that needs to happen. Where do, where do you find the, the good places to be able to, where do you send people? If you like handball, it's like, okay, you've asked too many questions. I just want to enjoy <laughs> my muffin at muffin break or whatever. It's like, where, where do you, like, what do you tell, where do you send people? That's really hard too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it would have to depend on the the context, what people mm-hmm. were wanting to know. Um, uh-huh. so, what know, about like a system, NITV... for instance? Like I think about like, okay, uh, all what mainstream media is and thinking about, okay, mm. tuning in to the project or whatever and seeing sort of a, a very white panel or seeing like having a very specific viewpoint I wonder, like, mm. if we were to re, if we were to completely shuffle the system around what we're consuming, and it's like, oh, like, let, replace uh, the footy show with this show or this with that, and mm. create our own version of mainstream. Is like, yeah. so not even an education piece necessarily, but just what we consider stuff that we watch. Yeah, changing the system. <laughs> That's what yeah. we want to change yeah. that system. To include people from diverse backgrounds, and that includes a number of different things. But um, like NITV would be one of the starting points, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other places that you can look. Um, there's a whole range of things. I just, yeah, I'm really, I'm stuck yeah. <laughs> on what to give yeah. you. I could yeah. probably email you a whole bunch of stuff and then you could like give it to your, your uh-huh. Yeah, if, yeah. if that would work <laughs> yeah no i think like i think it makes sense as well like i think that when you're uh in it and around it and it's not really like like it's a it's a hard question mm. to answer and there is a lot i think that the other thing too is there is so much information that is out there like you just have to go on instagram seeing how many things people are sending and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. But, I mean, for you, for what you're saying, Josh, like the mainstream, if you watch telly at night, which is Channel 10, mm-hmm. and, and on the way to work you're listening to this radio station, that becomes the mainstream is that for mm-hmm. you. And yeah. so for people to even veer outside of their own mainstream, that's, yeah. I guess, what well, I guess it's like. Is, be, right? I guess, like, part of it is, like, okay, you can read, like, um, White Fragility, I think, is the audio book I'm listening to at the moment. Like, you can listen to all these different things or consume these types of things but then i feel like the secondary thing is beyond just education and it's more just Mm. like changing what you perceive to be normal so it's actually like Mm. having comedians or you know diverse people in that way as well which um and i think conversation like forgive us for you know well clunky as hell at the start of the episode but i think like for me personally the way i learn is through that clunky process or mm. misstepping in some direction and then just thinking back on my own experience and saying okay well that you know you got to start mm-hmm. to sort mm, of adjust of course. course and that's and that is a part of the process and you see why people don't because clunkiness can sometimes feel not great but that's not a reason to not take the steps, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, of course. And I think as as um, I'm listening to you say that, you have a genuine genuine interest, so a, a genuine um, yearning to learn and, and want to understand the history. And I think that's it. You need to just be genuine. Mm-hmm. You can't, like the clunkiness might happen and that's fine. Um, it's just take it slow. It's fine. It's, it's you're taking a step somewhere mm-hmm. in the right direction. And I think that's the best thing. Appreciate you um, allowing us to um, ask you annoying, dumb questions. <laughs> um, oh, if, don't worry. But, I've, had, I've had plenty more. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to. You're gonna do a great piece of art. I feel after this, just to let out all the, all, 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 all the tension. And so, what's the? Um, and so, uh, your website. People can buy artwork. Any any tips around buying? Uh, and and like this is a very basic one. Indigenous, Aboriginal, they obviously get they seem to be used interchangeably. Um, mm. Is is there any sort of um, advice on that? So obviously, like we've referred to Aboriginal artists, all that sort of thing. When when do, when should people say Indigenous versus Aboriginal and, and those types of things? And then any tips on buying Indigenous artwork? See, I would prefer people say Aboriginal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Indigenous, but that's personal preference. So I would say First Nations or Aboriginal or my mobs, so like mm-hmm. Yorta Yorta, Jajarung or Gamilaroi. Um, that's how I would identify. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was to answer your first question. Yeah, yeah, but to answer the second question, it would be probably to do a bit of research on what the organisation Um, was and who was running the organization so um, trying to figure out and it's probably really challenging but you could always ask another aboriginal person if you had a friend or a colleague or anything like that or even just google um, try and google it's a bit hard but Mm -hmm. making sure that the company you're buying from is owned and run by aboriginal people or they have like that would be the first and foremost owned and, and ran by an Aboriginal person. Second would be whether the artists were being paid for the artwork and they're being acknowledged in the actual pieces that are being produced. Um, so if it was a non-Aboriginal person running the organisation, which I would probably say go for the first, mm-hmm. but if it was a non-Aboriginal person running the organisation, yeah, just making sure that those artists are getting paid properly and they're getting the recognition that they deserve and um, are entitled to as Aboriginal people and as the artists of that work. Yeah. One, so you can buy direct. You can buy from your website. I saw you've mm-hmm. got some uh, some great prints and you got your hoodie on. Are you yes. selling those hoodies? Yes. There we go. So this That's is great. the hoodie. Looks oh. great. I did the artwork on this. Um, and, yeah, so it. All, for the pre-sale that I've just done, I'm um, donating um, some of the profits, so 10% of the profits to change the record, um, which is really exciting. We made $750 for change the record, so I'll be donating that straight to them. Epic. Um, they're an organisation that invests in early intervention, um, prevention and diversion strategies in the criminal justice system. Um, they're, in, they're Australia's, sorry, I'm reading my notes. <laughs> um, they're Australia's only national Aboriginal-led justice coalition um, of Aboriginal peak bodies and non-Aboriginal allies. 
so they're a strength-based um, organization and that was what I was you know wanting to find um, with a public health degree I, I'm all about prevention um, so yeah it was really important to me and my values but um, I wanted to make sure that I was giving back where I could. Thanks so much for being so generous with us today maddie it's um, that's all right yeah i feel like uh, yeah, as tj said we um there's such important conversations and it's like the clunkiness is um is, is part of it all mm. but um appreciate you uh taking the time today and if people want to get the artwork it's uh yali creative if they just google that it, it all comes up there um yeah thanks, so it's y-a-r-l-i creative perfect but yeah awesome. thanks so much for having me on Awesome. It's a daily talk show. Hi at thedailytalkshow.com is the email address. If you have any suggestions of who we should have on the show, let us know. Otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow, guys. Have a good one. See ya.